Hey guys, it's Clay. Welcome back. This is part two of my series on RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria, moving into ADHD, and eventually going into SCT and trying to sort out these various disorders and problems and try to relate them back to personality in some way. I have never identified with ADHD. I have never been accused of having ADHD. When I was a kid, ADHD was definitely, it seemed more associated with the whole hyperactivity thing. So those kids that are basically, they can't sit still, they're jumping out of their chair, they're climbing in the walls, they're just blurting things out. They sort of have no inhibitions. I definitely wasn't like that. I wasn't as high energy. So as a result, it's not something I was ever suspected of having. Um, as I've researched here, I've discovered there's these various types of ADHD. So one of them is inattentive ADHD. Inattentive ADHD has nothing to do with hyperactivity. It has a lot to do with a bunch of other symptoms. So this all started, you know, maybe four or five months ago. So my girlfriend, she has ADHD and she's sort of always known that. Um, but again, not the hyperactive kind. So I remember one day she brought up the fact that she thought that I could have inattentive ADHD. At the time, I didn't really know a lot about that or what the difference was between inattentive and hyperactive. And I remember I kind of just wrote it off. I was like, I don't have ADHD. Like a lot of these symptoms that I have, symptoms can be explained just by my sparkling personality. She started to go through some of this stuff and she's like, well, do you experience this? Do you experience that? And I remember at the time I was like, well, yeah, everybody, everybody's like that. And she's like, no, they're not. <laughs> everybody is not like that. I remember I was a little resistant at first. You know, do I really want to, I don't really like accepting labels. It's ironic in a way, this whole personality stuff that I talk about on this channel, I've kind of adopted this label almost accidentally. I don't like labels, but here I am talking about personality and specifically this INFJ personality, which I happen to relate with most of all the personalities. But as time went on, she just sort of subtly, she started sending me little TikToks of ADHD people. She's like, this is totally you. And she'll send it to me and I'm like, yeah, actually, you know, that kind of is me. But as I talked about in the last video, so this rejection sensitive dysphoria, I kind of started with that topic and I realized, well, I definitely have RSD. And like I said, it's an indicator for ADHD doesn't necessarily mean you have ADHD at all. You can have RSD without having ADHD. You can have ADHD without having RSD. But I guess it's just a strong indicator. A lot of people that have RSD end up having some flavor of ADHD. All right, so like I was saying, the DSM, which is kind of the official criteria for disorders, all the various disorders, you know, borderline, bipolar, narcissism, antisocial personality disorder, all, all these types of things. The DSM actually defines ADHD. And it has sort of one disorder, and then under it are three subtypes. So you've got inattentive ADHD, and then you've got this hyperactive, impulsive ADHD. And then Probably because, you know, everybody doesn't fit into these two types. They have this combined type, which means you might have symptoms from both. So the DSM actually defines ADHD. This is what it says. ADHD is characterized by a persistent pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development. And so what do you need to sort of diagnose yourself with ADHD? All you really need is five or more symptoms 
from either the inattention subtype or five or more from the hyperactive subtype. There are some other requirements like you have to have several symptoms present before the age of 12. You have to experience these things in multiple settings. So it's not just something you only experience at work and not at home. Like you have to experience this in multiple parts of life. You need clear evidence that one of these symptoms is interfering with parts of your life. So that could be work, school, some you know, relationships. There's some way that these symptoms are impairing you. And that's really what an impairment is. A symptom by itself isn't an impairment. A symptom could be like distractibility. Like you start working on something and you just get distracted really easy. That's a symptom. That can lead to an impairment if you literally can't get your work done. You no longer can, you can't even do school because you know, you're, everything's late, everything's half done because you just procrastinate and don't do it. The impairment is when it's affecting your life. Now you lose your job. So that's an impairment. A symptom by itself, like let's say it's just something that you lightly struggle with, but you can work through it and there's actually no repercussions, then maybe that's not a disorder. So let me just run through the symptoms of each of these subtypes. And I'll use myself as an example a little bit to kind of explain how I think these symptoms relate to real life. So first up, we'll do the inattentive ADHD symptoms. So the first thing here is difficulty sustaining attention. And I feel like that's a bit of a vague statement, but as I've looked into really what this means is, let's say you start working on a task. Do you have any difficulty at all just staying on task and working on that thing? You're, you don't have any trouble with your attention towards this task. Right off the bat, I have tremendous trouble sometimes, depending on the task, right? And I guess it's task dependent. If it's something I'm really interested in, I can get hyper-focused and work really hard on stuff. But if it's something I'm less interested in or it's something that I think is a little boring or monotonous or just something that I have to do, I have an incredibly hard time actually keeping my attention on that. I will start thinking about things. I'll start working on other stuff. Like I'll pick up my phone and just start wasting time. I'll, you know, if there's somebody else around, I'll start having a conversation with them instead. So it kind of depends on how you look at this, right? Like, can I do the things that I really like to do and I'm passionate about? Yes, I can keep my attention. But on a lot of other things, it is a real struggle for me. So the next thing does not seem to listen when spoken to directly. So sometimes if somebody is talking to me about something that I find extremely boring or irrelevant, I have a hard time listening to them and I will kind of tune out. Or if somebody is telling me something that I'm very interested in, what can happen is I start thinking about something they've said and I will, it's sort of this, this choice now. It's like, do I think about what they just said or do I keep listening? I have a very hard time kind of flipping between those two states. And sometimes when somebody's talking to me, I'll start thinking about something, something they said or something related, or my mind starts to wander and sort of, you know, try to theorize about something. I will realize that I've literally missed the last minute or two of everything they've said. And I'll have to get them to repeat it. And sometimes people think, you know, they might even get a little upset. They're like, you're not listening to me. You're not paying attention. And, and the reality is I, I am paying attention. It's just that it's like I need some time to process in between, some time to think. So I think that's why 
reading works really well for me because I read, I'll read a paragraph and then I can stop and think about it. Maybe I'll make some notes. Maybe I'll look up the definitions of a few words and think about that and I'll fully understand that and then maybe I'll move on to the next paragraph. And this is sort of how I work. So the next one, fails to follow through on tasks or instructions. So I think where this really relates to me is verbal instructions. So going back to the last point, has trouble you know, listening or focusing when spoken to. If somebody gives me like a list of things to do verbally, or a step-by-step -step list of instructions and gives it to me verbally, I have a very hard time focusing on anything but the first step. So it's like, here's eight things you have to do. Do this, do this, do that, do that, do that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'm still thinking about step one. Let me do step one and then you can tell me step two. I cannot hold eight things in my brain all at once. That is for sure. I am very singular focused. I focus on one thing at a time. And so I think I've just always assumed that everybody was like this. So I would much rather have written instructions than audible instructions. If somebody hands me a, a list of written instructions, I will scan them, make sure I understand that. But then I will always have them ready. So I will do the first thing and then I will go read what is step two. Okay, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's do step two. Let's do step three. And one way that I've learn to realize this is that I have an employee and in many ways she's very different than me. She's very systematic. She's very organized. She has all these tasks and she can manage all of them and we can have a conversation. She likes to have these little strategy meetings about you know what what we're focusing on for the next little bit and so she likes to bring up all the things that need to be done, all the things that we're working on. I at the end of these conversations start to feel overwhelmed usually because I'm like, wow, there's so much to do here. Which one, which thing am I gonna do first? I get a little bit like loopy just thinking about all the different things that we have to do and I write them all down and as soon as I write them all down and I kind of sit there and prioritize, okay, what am I doing first? Okay, I'm just gonna do this. I start to feel a little better. But I've noticed with her she is perfectly happy holding all these things in her brain at once and she feels much better bringing them up and talking about them. So that's a little perplexing to me and pretty interesting. So along with this fails to follow through on tasks or instructions, if I get a whole bunch of tasks or instructions, it's not that I will intentionally not do some of them, but I think I have trouble remembering all those things and naturally some of them will get forgotten. Unless I write them down and then prioritize them, I will just forget to do it. I mean, it's as simple as that. So with my employee, it's funny, sometimes I almost start to feel like she's my boss and not the other way around because she's trying to do a bunch of stuff and then she needs me to help her with certain things or she needs me to do some things in order for her to do her job. So she'll give me these tasks. She's like, I need to do this. So can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do that? And then once you're done that, I can do my job. Sometimes she'll give me so many tasks. And if I don't write those things down, I will forget them. And even if I do write them down, the problem is I have so many different to-do lists. I just don't have time to do all these things. So, you know, sometimes I'll just forget about stuff. And all of a sudden, two months later, she's like, I, you know, you never did this. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll do it right now. 
and ironically, that's another symptom here, is forgetful in daily activities. And as I understand, ADHD has a little bit of a problem with working memory. So what is working memory? Working memory is sort of like holding things in your brain in order to quickly recall them. So imagine if you had like a math problem and you had a bunch of different numbers. Can you almost do that in your head? Or do you need to write it down and actually visually see it? Like for myself, I have a very hard time if somebody gives me a math problem and there's a bunch of numbers I need to remember, I'll start doing the problem in my head and I'm like, oh yeah, what was that number again? Was it 36 or 38? And then as I'm doing that, I'm like, oh, was that other number of 42? Four? And then I have to ask them again, what, what were those numbers again? And I'm like, oh, okay, oh yeah. And then I start again. And um, that's why I think doing math in my head has always been a little difficult unless it's easy to remember. You know, if it's like, 18 times three or something like that. Obviously, I can remember those two numbers. But when things get a little more complicated, the working memory isn't quite there to remember it. Another thing about working memory is you're just kind of always forgetting stuff. Like, I'll fill a water bottle before I leave the house. I'm like, okay, I gotta bring this water bottle. And literally 50% of the time, I'll leave it at home. Unless I put it in a bag right then and I remember to bring the bag. As long as I remember to bring that bag, I'm all good, right? I think the last couple of years, I've had some personal issues um, going on in my life and I've had a lot of stress. And I think the stress has ex really amplified this problem with working memory. Sometimes it gets so bad where I will be talking and before I even finish a sentence, I will forget what I was talking about. Or not only that, but sometimes I'll actually forget that I was even talking. So th that sounds crazy, I realize. Um, but Lexi, my girlfriend, is sort of constantly calling me out in this. She's like, uh, hello, you were saying? And I'm like, what? I was saying something? Like I literally will forget in the middle of a sentence that I was talking and I will get distracted. My attention goes elsewhere and I'll start thinking about something entirely unrelated and I've forgotten that I was actually talking to her. You know, sometimes I'll need to run upstairs to grab something and by the time I get upstairs, I've forgotten what I came up here for. I'm sure everybody experiences that. Um, is it something you experience a lot? You know, maybe it's a symptom. So another symptom here is poor organization. I think organization is something that I like to do if I can. It takes a lot of effort um, it's something that I, if I actually do, if I'm well organized, I feel better. I know that. So it's almost like a coping mechanism for me at this point. Like I like to organize myself because then I know I'm not going to lose stuff as much. I'm not going to forget where I put stuff. Um, so I have really specific ways, like my keys go in one place. I don't want to put my keys anywhere else because it, then I can't find them. Um which is another symptom actually, loses things necessary for tasks, activities. I'm constantly losing stuff unless I put them in their place. So it, it's, it's kind of a funny thing in a way because by default, like if I move into a new place, like in this new house that I moved into, for the first two weeks, I didn't know where anything was because I didn't have places for anything. So I'm like losing my phone constantly. I'm losing my keys. I need to find my wallet. Who knows where it is, right? It might be in this bag, it might be over there. It's incredibly frustrating because I spent half my day looking for things. 
But once I kind of identify a spot for everything, then I'm less likely to lose stuff. But then along with that, I become a little militant in needing that thing to be there. So if somebody moves it and puts it somewhere else, it really does throw me off and I might be a little annoyed. And then people are like, what's the big deal? I just moved it from that table to that table. But another item on the list is makes careless mistakes, lacks attention to detail. And I think I don't want to admit that I have bad attention to detail, but when I'm looking for things, I literally can't see them. I, I, I've talked about this in other videos and you know, it's funny, all this stuff, it's like it can be explained in so many different ways. So I have explained this problem before as weak extroverted sensing, which happens to go along with the INFJ personality. But it's also a symptom of ADHD. So, you know, which is it, right? I have such narrow attention is what I've noticed. And it, it actually is a benefit in some ways because if I'm working on something and I'm very focused, like it's like this laser focus on the task and I will work on it until it's done. However, as a side effect of that, you know, I'm looking at something and I don't notice that my keys are in a weird place. So I'll tell you a story from just this morning. Right before I started this video, I couldn't find my phone. And I love to put trackers on things if I can. Like my keys, I will lose those things. That's why I have a little tile, it's called, and then I can ring it from my phone. Now I can find my keys. So I wear the Apple Watch. One of the main things I like the Apple Watch for is that I can ping my phone really quickly. I can't find my phone, I just go hit a button and it goes ping and I, I just follow the sound, right? So this morning, right before this video, I ping my phone and I don't hear it, which was weird. I'm like, why don't I hear it? So I kept pinging it. Eventually I found another phone and I phoned my phone to see if I could make it ring. Couldn't find it still. So Lexi's upstairs and she starts looking for it as well. And this is something I think she's very gracious with me about. And she will often find things much better than me. But anyways, she goes outside because literally, I mean, that's another thing I've noticed is that I will put things in places. It could be anywhere. Like one time I couldn't find my phone and then I found it on the, on the middle of the stairs. And I'm like, why would I put my phone in the middle of the staircase? There's no explanation for that, right? Why would I do that? I still don't know, but that's where my phone was. So this morning, my phone was laying in the middle of the lawn, the sprinklers were on, my phone's getting wet. Anyway, that's where she found my phone. She's like, I found your phone, it's out in the yard. And I had gone out earlier to turn the sprinklers on and then I ran really fast and I think my phone fell out of my pocket. But it's just another example of somehow things end up in weird places. All right, so the next thing, avoids or dislikes tasks requiring sustained mental effort. And again, I think at first glance I would go, well, no, I can sustain mental effort, no problem, because things that I'm interested in or things that I really like, I am laser focused, like I said. But things that are boring for me, it sometimes feels agonizing to even do it. Like things like bookkeeping, doing my taxes, even opening mail is extremely hard for me. The other day I was, I had to open all these legal documents. I'm actually doing a will right now. 
And so the lawyer sent over the final drafts of this will and it was like six big PDF documents with lots of words. And she's like, review this and let me know. And then if it looks good, we'll go ahead and sign it. And it's hard to really explain the feeling that I get when I see that. When I see those documents that I have to read, it is intensely boring. And I literally sat there for 30 minutes trying to hype myself up. I mean, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to sit down for 30 minutes and hype myself up. I'm like, okay, I should do this. And each time I would try to open it and it's like this, it's like this feeling of dread. So I guess I've heard people with ADHD have a really hard time doing things that they find boring. And for example, my mail. This is like paper mail. And I sort of run a paperless office because I just am so bad at managing these papers that people send me. Like if I actually have a piece of paper, I almost don't know what to do with it now. I scan it and I put it in, I have like a digital filing cabinet, essentially. I find that process quite boring though, and I would rather not do that. Filing, that kind of translates to just not opening my mail. And sometimes it will be six months and I haven't opened my mail and I got this huge stack of mail. There might even be checks in there. I still haven't opened them. The problem is the higher the stack gets, the more, more overwhelming it looks and the less likely I am to do it. So as time goes on, it just becomes less and less likely that I'm going to tackle that. And I often don't tackle it until the last possible minute when I'm doing my taxes and I have to open this up and I have to find my notice of assessment from the government and my T4s from various things and my T5s from my investments and various checks. Anyway, I just did my taxes recently and I found five checks in unopened mail. Literally, I still haven't deposited them to be honest, they're sitting over there on my desk. I should do it, right? It's literally, it's, it's free money. It's not free money, it's money that is owed to me. All I gotta do is go deposit it. But for some reason, I just can't find the energy to do it. But on the flip side, you know, I find all kinds of time to do things that I'm passionate about. So, you know, the funny thing about this ADHD is they call it a disorder, but there is a lot, I mean, they say that a lot of successful entrepreneurs have it. And I can't help but wonder if it's because of this ability. It's, is it an ability? It's an ability to hyper-focus on the things that you like and you want to do and you're passionate about and you just do those things. And there's lots of other things that kind of fall by the wayside and your life might be a bit, a bit of a disaster. But you're successful in this one area. So loses things. I think I talked about that already. Um, easily distracted including unrelated thoughts. So this is, you're working on one thing, and this happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm working on something, I th it's supposedly important. If it's a boring task, like sort of boring day-to-day -day business activities, I find a little monotonous. So I'll start working on it, and then all of a sudden I realize I've, you know, I'm on reading psychology or philosophy articles, and I'm not doing my job anymore. Or sometimes I'm just distracted by thoughts and I start thinking about it. So yeah, this is a definite struggle for me. I think one way that I could try to tackle this problem and I've, I've tried is meditation. And it's, it's a way to recognize as sort of these wayward thoughts come into your brain. And I think that maybe to me seems what mindfulness is all about. It's just recognizing the fact that this 
random thought just came into your brain. And now you can just sort of, you watched it come in and you can watch it leave. You just sort of let it go. Um, rather than attach to it and start thinking about it. I heard Sam Harris say that even if your life depended on it, you probably can't just sit with an empty mind for 30 seconds. Even if there's a gun to your head and they said, just don't think about anything for 30 seconds, you probably wouldn't be able to do it. And I think a person with ADHD, you start working on certain things and you want to do it, you know you have to do it. It's almost like, it's not a problem of knowing what to do, you know what you have to do. The real problem is doing it. <laughs> so I think a lot of people with ADHD, they could be quite brilliant, they could be very skilled, like they could, let's say for example, just a really skilled artist, or they could know exactly how to start a business, but they just can't do it, they can't start. So this issue of being really good at working on things, once I'm started, I've talked about this in other videos, and I've again attributed back to personality traits and cognitive functions. So introverted intuition, I've said, is laser focused on a target. Kind of sounds a lot like this. Introverted intuition, um, you know, sometimes it takes a bit of time to start, but once you start, you're working hard, right? And ironically, inattentive ADHD is the same type of thing. It's like, you have a very hard time starting, you know what you have to do, but it's now just doing it, right? It's starting it and then finishing it. Once you're started, finishing is easier. So going back to the whole diagnostic criteria, to, to have inattentive ADHD, you only need to have five or more of those symptoms. How many did I list? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, it's pretty clear cut that I would have inattentive ADHD if that is the requirement for having it. So let's just jump over to the hyperactivity. So the combined type is if you have kind of both of these symptoms, right? So one of them is fidgets, taps hands or feet, squirms in seat. You know, I might not be jumping on my seat and climbing walls like, you know, a hyperactive child, but I am constantly fidgeting, tapping my hands and feet. So I grew up as a drummer and I'm always drumming on stuff. Even when I don't even realize it, I do, do it with my fingers and I'm just tapping and drumming and I remember when I was in high school, I used to get kicked out of class because they, they would assume I was doing it intentionally, but I wasn't. I, it was literally unintentional. I wasn't even aware of it. I mean, that's an example of a symptom moving into an impairment because it's actually affecting my life and now I'm sitting in the hallway because of that. So, you know, there's one tick for hyperactive actually. Leaving seat in situations when remaining seated is expected. I don't think I really do that. One thing I do do is when I'm talking on the phone, I have a very hard time staying seated. I usually pace. <laughs> so I'm having conversations on the phone and I'm pacing around the kitchen or pacing around my office. So experiences feelings of restlessness. I mean, I read that and I go, well, doesn't everybody feel a little restless? I find if I'm not getting work done, I feel restless and I'm kind of like, I can't relax. So I don't know, maybe. Um, has difficulty engaging in quiet, leisurely activities. I think that I'm usually pretty okay hanging out by myself and being quiet, so I wouldn't really say that maybe that is for me. Is on the go or acts if driven by a motor? Probably not. Talks excessively? Probably not. Blurts out answers? Not really me usually in most general 
cases if I'm not comfortable with people, I don't really talk very much at all, actually. Once I'm comfortable with somebody, and especially if it's a topic that I'm interested in, I can talk quite a bit. Has difficulty waiting their turn, not really for me. Interrupts or intrudes on others. I was thinking about this one. I definitely interrupt people, and I don't, I don't know if it's for hyperactive reasons. I think it's usually because if somebody's saying a bunch of stuff and they're, they're saying some things and then I wanna to respond to that particular issue before they move on to another issue, I'm worried that I'm gonna forget it. It goes back to that working memory thing. If I don't bring this issue up or a, something that, a thought about what you just said, I'll probably forget it. So I find that if I have a notebook, I can sit there and write down my thoughts as somebody's talking and then I can sort of go through afterwards and, and bring up my questions or points. But if I don't have the notebook, I find that the working memory issue makes me just forget what I was even gonna say. And then after someone's done talking, I'm like, oh yeah, I was gonna say something. Um, I had a question. And then you know, half the time I'll remember it, half the time I won't. So I think from that list, although I do have a couple of those hyperactive symptoms, I am definitely more inattentive. And they say that inattentive ADHD often goes undiagnosed. So especially in adults, because uh, adults learn to cope and they create coping mechanisms. Let's say you're quite disorganized. You might create a very rigid organization system. So from the outside, people go, wow, that person's very organized. But what they don't realize is that that's almost a coping mechanism to like try to gather yourself a bit so you're not just a complete disaster. Um, so that's actually one thing I've been thinking about. A coping mechanism can make you behave or appear a certain way. So a person who has a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear of the future, might become very controlling and become very planned and systematic. So then somebody looks at them and goes, wow, that person is so... Um, organized and they're so planned and controlled but really what why is that person acting that way it's out of a coping mechanism to deal with their own anxiety so if you were looking at the personality side of things do you look at the coping mechanism as a personality trait or is it the underlying thing the anxiety is that more the person so one thing I heard is that with ADHD, inattentive or possibly hyperactive, is that it's, it's sort of like a, the whole memory issue. It's, it's sort of like trivial pursuit style memory. So if somebody asks me something, especially something I've researched, I can be like an encyclopedia. Like I can literally just spout off all the things I know about that issue. I can you know, talk about, oh, I saw I read a study that says this and I, I can appear very researched and appear like I have a very good memory, however, it's more of a, that trivial pursuit style memory where it needs prodding. And then I, it's like a file folder. I can access that file folder. Okay, this is what I'm doing. Okay, and here's all the memories. But apparently with this type of memory, ADHD, this whole working memory, it's like if you don't have a prompt, you don't remember. So you can't remember what you don't remember, right? You're like, oh, I, I was going to bring something with me when I went out what was that thing I had to bring? And you're like, oh, well, I'll just leave the house. And then it's like, oh yeah, I had a check to bring to the bank, right? But that's different than, hey, what do you know about autism? But to actually remember something without a prompt, that seems to be definitely my problem and also an ADHD symptom. So I was listening to this one lecture from this guy, Dr. Barkley, and he kind of looks at this ADHD stuff a little different. One thing that he said is that 
one of the differences between SCT, which is sluggish cognitive tempo, which sort of seems related to inattentive ADHD, but also not. One of the things that he says that differentiates the two things is that ADHD people just have trouble doing their work. They have trouble starting their work. They, they know what to do. There's a bunch of work to do here, but they just don't start or they don't do stuff. Like me, I just don't open my mail or I procrastinate doing boring things until I literally absolutely have to. And then it's like there's a fire lit under me and then I'm finally doing my taxes, right? I literally did, I paid my taxes on the last day that I could before I got charged interest. So here's my question about all this. You know, these people, they call it a disorder that I am essentially doing other work first. And what they say, what Dr. Barkley would say, is that I don't know how to prioritize because I'm doing things that I like, things that I'm passionate about. So I might, you know, edit a cool little video or edit some photos that I took before I do my taxes. And he would look at that and go, well, you're avoiding doing your work. How do you deal with the fact that I don't see certain things as important, like opening my mail? The problem is there's no real repercussions. If I don't open my mail and I open it a month later or two months later, so there might be a check in there or it might be like a notice of assessment from the government or... The thing about all that stuff is it seems low priority to me. And if I don't get it, I don't read it, there's not a lot of repercussion. So I will naturally deprioritize those things and I will prioritize things that I want to do instead. So this is kind of related to something else that I've read about with ADHD, which is time blindness. At its core, it's basically not having a good track of time. And so I deal with this all the time. It's like I have an afternoon off. Let's say I have four hours before dinner. It's like, well, what can I do? There's, there's so much time here. What can I do? And I will think, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And Quite often, you know, I get to the first thing, I just finish, I start the second thing, and then the four hours is up. I will often think that I can do way more in a period of time than I actually can. Or on the flip side, sometimes I'll be like, there'll be some, some task that, I, that I've been dreading that I feel like, oh, that's going to take longer than it actually will. So it's like, oh, that's gonna take the whole afternoon. And then I end up finishing it in 30 minutes. And I'm like, oh, that only took 30 minutes. So this time blindness, it's basically a, you struggle with knowing how long things will take. Time blindness comes down to having two states. You have the now and you have the later. <laughs> so if dinner, like somebody says, hey, dinner's in 10 minutes, that's still later. And, and I'm still doing something now. Okay, well, dinner is not now. Dinner is later. And then, you know, I'll come up for air. I'm working on something, you know, I'm passionate about it, something that I like. And all of a sudden, 30 minutes have gone by and, you know, dinner's getting cold. And they're like, hey, I called you 10, you know, 20 minutes ago. How come you didn't come up? I was like, oh, yeah, that 30 minutes just went by just like that. It's this difficulty in distinguishing between now and later. It's almost like the now never ends. And the whole time blindness thing it's almost a problem with getting out of the moment. It's sort of like, oh no, that's later. I'm not thinking about that or doing that right now. I'm just doing what I'm doing right now. And you almost get lost in that. And again, going back to the whole entrepreneurship thing, this time blindness can be a benefit if you're working on things that you really like and you're working towards goals. All of a sudden, you know, you can do eight hours worth of work, 10 hours, 12 hours, and get a whole pile of work done because you, you really want that. 
the time blindness issue comes in when, okay, your house is a mess, you haven't cleaned the kitchen, you forgot to eat, you know, you didn't, you didn't even eat lunch, now it's like 9 p.m. and you're like starving. You, so it's interesting going back to the whole personality thing that that, <laughs> this sort of starts sounding like the same kind of thing again, this time blindness, which is associated with ADHD, and this inability to kind of, I, I, I always called it, bad extroverted sensing or inferior extroverted sensing. And um, now I'm not so sure, right? I'm like, well, is that inferior extroverted sensing? Is that a personality thing? Or is this actually an impairment? So I think with people that have ADHD, again, the ability to hyper-focus on things that we like, but the inability to do things that we find tedious, monotonous, or boring, one thing that I've sort of learned is that as I've sort of had a business and I can make a little more money enough to hire people to do things, I think for my personality, one of the best coping mechanisms I've ever realized, and now I'm realizing maybe it's more of an ADHD thing, is that the things that I find boring and monotonous, get somebody else to do it. Even if it costs money, that's better than me sitting there and being tortured just to save $30, $60, $90. It's better for me to put my attention towards something that I really like. So bookkeeping, for example. I pay a bookkeeper, I pay an accountant, and I do have to do a little bit of work to prepare stuff for them, but you know, I just send it off to them, they just do all that stuff, and um, that is worth it for me. Because the alternative is almost lowering the quality of my life so I think ideally, if, if you, in, like the optimal ADHD person would be free enough in their life that they kind of have outsourced a lot of the boring and monotonous stuff. That's what I'm starting to think. And I think that that might be the secret to a little lower stress, maybe in my life. So yeah, I think a lot of this whole ADHD stuff is centered around children. And a lot of, you know, children have less coping mechanisms. They have less filters. So this stuff is easier to see in children. And in adults, it's a little harder to diagnose sometimes. And I think it's very common that people don't even realize they have this inattentive ADHD until they're like well into adulthood. It's, the whole thing is so funny to me because it's a disorder because you can't, what, sit still in school, but then, you know, you start a business and you can be wildly successful because you're able to hyper-focus on the things that you're really passionate about. So is, is that really disorder or is that just a different way that your brain works? These are the things that just aren't really clearly defined, right? But it is obvious that many of these symptoms impair in certain ways. All right, guys, thanks for watching. This is gonna wrap up the second video, which was all about ADHD. In the next video, I'm going to dive into SCT, and that is sluggish cognitive tempo. I don't really like the name. I guess the researchers that surround and work on this, this disorder, they don't like the name either, um, but we'll dive more into it in that video. So if you have any questions about any of this, feel free to leave me a comment below or send me an audio question. Otherwise, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, like, how do you think that personality relates back to ADHD or any other disorder? Um, how do these disorders affect personality or how they are perceived, I guess?
Thanks, guys. See you later.